Welcome into an exciting episode of Hawkeyes and Tallboys. My name's Rob Wall. I'm Dylan Pond. And I am Bo Freeborn. We're going to kick it off. Today is a sad day because we have to recap the Iowa-Penn State game of last week. But, you know, we're a little bit about positive vibes and we want to talk about you know, what did we see? Um, what happened in the game? We'll go through all that with the recap. Uh, we want to have time to be able to spend some time on an excellent uh, matchup that we have this week um, against Purdue. Um, that'll be at Purdue. And then um, we'll have some time to get to some, obviously, some vibes we want to kind of touch on, uh, college football standings in general, and also mailback. So, um, yeah, last week, guys, not so good. I mean... What are your what were your thoughts there on the game? I think uh, guys, we all predicted Iowa to win. I know Dylan, you're kind of hanging us there on a limb that uh, at your prediction, but I think we all expected Iowa to win no matter what the circumstances. With the weather being bad, we thought that we were going to win in the trenches, and overall, it just looked like we had a little bit of jet lag. Uh, maybe just decided offensively not to show up. I still think defensively we did well for the most part. Um, we had a lot of things to work on, but. I tell you what, it, uh, it was an ugly game overall. Not impressed at all. Not my Iowa team. Dylan, what are your thoughts overall there? You know, overall, truth be told, um, and I know a lot of you listeners out there were actually um, part of the wedding I was in this weekend and probably got to hear some of my live thoughts that were you know, slightly a little more drunken than they are today. <laughs> but overall, you know, the defense... Played tough as always. That's you know, one of those things you come to expect with a, you know, a Kirk Ferentz, Phil Parker coach team. But you know that that offense, it was just, I, you know, I I have a hard time putting it into words. You know, you look at the play of Nate Stanley. You know, it just frankly it just wasn't good. Um, and by no means am I placing the entirety of the blame there because you know there's blame to go around in this ball game, but. You know, I just don't. Who would you put the blame I, on? Well, I just don't think we've seen Nate Stanley play a game oh. that poorly yet in his career. You know, we look at his stats: going eighteen for forty-nine with two ints, no touchdowns, and just a mere two hundred five yards. Which I think we knew coming into this game it was going to be rain, it was going to be sloppy. You know, and Iowa was going to have to take advantage of turnovers, which you know. Uh, Gosh, it's just tough to say. I think the big play early was missing uh, missing Hawkinson wide down down the field um, on that third and two. That was an awesome fake. I thought. I think everybody in the crowd thought it was a run on on third and one. There was nobody two. around him, and yeah, he was twenty yards down the field. Nobody around him. He just, just simply overthrew him, and that's that's the kind of ball you got to have. Mm. And then looking the rest of the first half, going into third quarter too, there's a lot of balls thrown basically straight into the ground. Uh, about three or four feet in front of the receivers too. So pretty disappointing to see that. Dill, I also want to raise this to you. Do you suppose it was Nate Stanley, or do you suppose playing calling had a, had a bigger impact on uh, on the game? I think partially it did. Um, you know, what I heard a lot of this weekend about was, you know, that play call down at the end of the game when Nate Stanley threw that interception when I think we were on Penn State's four-yard line. Um, essentially in a position to go up with an extra point there. Um, and with how solid McGill's been all year, I don't think that would have been an issue. But you look at that play, and so I don't know if play calling's necessarily the problem because you saw Nate Stanley check out of that play late with about 
you know, five seconds left in the play clock and then hurry to get that snap off. And another thing a lot of people don't realize either was that you had Kirk Ferentz running down the sideline calling timeout. And, you know, that field judge, I think they call him, it's like the guy who's the back judge but in the back corner of the end zone. So I'm pretty sure he's the field judge in college football. But essentially he's he, on the sideline. Yeah, so yeah, he, okay, back corner. Yeah, okay, yeah, back, yeah, back corner. So he's on that sideline, essentially. But you know, you had him going for his whistle once that ball was snapped, and at that point it's just too late. So you know, tough well, situation that you know we should have never been in the first place. But you can circle that blame and come back around and put that on Stanley too for just not calling the TO right away. And and viewers, you can actually see that that video clip on Twitter. I'm not sure who tweeted it out there, but I think all three of us have seen it, yeah. unfortunately, over the weekend too. Dylan, I, I want to raise you here. Because I think maybe the check checkdowns, um, uh, maybe the checkdowns are one thing, but you know we we saw a lot of off tackle runs and right up the middle on that left side of the offensive line, so that we could use Stanley in more like a spread out formation where we see a lot of out routes, a lot of corner routes, and I didn't see one of those play called mm-hmm. at all this week, and I feel like that definitely gets Stanley comfortable in the pocket, and, and that was just one thing overall. I just didn't see Stanley comfortable at all. Even the second quarter into the second half, I never saw that guy comfortable throughout the day. Yeah, you know, and I think part of that, you know, is probably on our young offensive line playing in tough environment, one, hostile crowd, um, and two, and the conditions are going to have a part in that. You know, those big boys, you know, you got to have your footing underneath you. Otherwise, you know, all that strength I was known for having them court-fed offensive linemen have, <laughs> you know, that doesn't do any good when you don't have any feet underneath you. And mm-hmm. I think we definitely saw that. I think there's quite a few times we see it you know, saw worse get blown back. I know, Alaric Jackson, that's one, if you guys go back and watch the tape, he just had a horrendous game. Um, so that, that's kind of why I think, you know, this blame, it, it goes around a lot more than a lot of people, you know, a lot of people want to sit here and bash Stanley, a lot of people want to sit here and bash the play calling. You know, at the end of the day, it's Iowa football, it's going to come down to execution. So, Rob, I, I want to pose a question to you here too. Um, and this this can be for all three of us too, but Hawkinson had a catch, a sliding out-of-bounds catch, full extension. Yep. They called it complete on the field. They reviewed it and called it incomplete. What were your thoughts after watching the catch? Well, I thought, I mean, they ended up overturning the, the call that, uh, on the field. And according to the rule, we should check this out. But, you know, there needs to be evidence in order to, like sustainable evidence in order to overturn. Um, and when I looked at the replay, and I don't know if it was just what was posted on the television – like the, the views that they showed, but I didn't see like overwhelming evidence that he didn't have control of the ball for it to be incomplete. You know, it looked like he had it. Looked like he had the ball, his foot was down. You know what I mean? Like that was a call that is, uh, you know, unfortunately just a, a te- like a turning point in the game for us. That would have been a huge play for us. Um, for those of you Hawkeye fans that didn't uh, have been living under a rock, the final score of the game was 30-24 Hawkeyes. Um, with Penn State um, pulling it out towards the end there. But did you um, – do you have the rule up, or what is well, this? Well, so I, I didn't have the rule up. I pulled that catch back up. Yeah. And what it looked like to me is it looked like the NFL rule that had just been outlawed, where, you know, I felt like he had – You had to complete sec- the catch yeah, or something? Yeah, he had secure possession of the football, and then as he's going down, you know, his knees hit, then his elbows hit, and then the ball hits – 
and you see it maybe move move an inch, maybe, but I think he still maintains control. Yeah. So that that's the only thing I can think of. Now, obviously, in college football, they don't necessarily have to give the exact same explanation that you have to see in the NFL, but um, nonetheless, make a football move or whatever. Right, yeah. Right. You know, nonetheless, I don't see how that can be overturned. Yeah, that that was a tough. You know, there was a num uh, a number of tough breaks that we had to deal with, and and that's the only one really that you, I kind of threw my hands up in the air, like, well, you know, what the heck, like, you know, that should have been a uh, a first down. Um, but I mean, the other thing that I, you know, I can say that I threw my head, my my hand up in the air is you know towards the end of the game, obviously. Well, first off, what an odd way to start the game in the first half. Um, you know, Iowa comes away with uh, two safeties, I think, to um, and a score with the uh, backup quarterback. I think. Ooh, no, it was actually the, it was the kicker. Yeah, it was the punter Rastatter. Yeah, we, we talked about him. Yeah, I was gonna say we talked about that in the last podcast. Yeah, too, yeah. you were gonna see a little bit of him, and um, yeah. So uh, that I was like, a heck of a play. That was, and you got to give props to. Um, the big fella too, Sam Brinks, for coming down with that. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, you can't, you hardly see, you know, the greats make catches like that. That was uh, that was an over the shoulder phenomenal catch. Yeah. And you know who he got some praise from was James Franklin, the head coach of Penn State, in the in the press conference was un- was just shocked about what mm-hmm. happened. He's like, no, it wasn't over the side, it wasn't over the side, it was completely over his head. Right, just like James Franklin was shocked about what his football players did to those poor girls back when he was at Vanderbilt, I'm oh sure. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it's probably the exact same <laughs> shock he had. So What a, a bum. Iowa scores a touchdown on that play. Um, we ended up getting another safety because they fumble it out of the back of the end zone. Um, and so I, all, all of a sudden I was up 14 Seven, I believe, or fourteen, nothing. It was something weird no, like it that. Was Twelve, nothing. Well, because... well they, they kicked a field goal too because at one point, I remember the Hawks were up five to nothing. Yeah. So they started out with the safety. When uh, Racino's hit a hit a field goal, and then Sam Brinks the touchdown made it twelve nothing before the end of the first quarter. When McStorley threw a touchdown pass in the back of the end zone, he was getting chased around That's to right. make it twelve to seven at the end of the first quarter. Mm-hmm. Then we got the safety fourteen seven. Yep. Odd way to get to 14. Um, then they score uh, again. I think that's the one where McSorley ran. No, that was actually the backup quarterback. That's when McSorley oh. got hurt. They put in the backup quarterback that drove down the field. And then uh, and then Tommy Stevens, the backup quarterback, who, in my opinion, we'll get to this next year, but is a beast. Yeah. He looks like a stud. Yeah. He ended up running in from uh, a yard away. Yep. He looks a little thicker than McSorley does. Taller. I think he's 6'5", and I think close to – Closer to two forty, I think. Really? Yeah, I mean he's a big boy. Yeah. Wow. We end up getting tied at half, seventeen all, on a couple of field goals from both teams. Uh, we get into the second half, and it really it just goes. It's all it's all Penn State. I think that's when McSorley had his really long run for a touchdown. Which honestly, uh, uh, unfortunately, when I'm watching that play, I mean heck of a heck of a blocking scheme that they had. They had a receiver like twenty five yards downfield, seal in the end. Um, and McSorley just ran right by him. I don't know what we were looking at on that play, our defense, but it seemed to be really take us by surprise. Yeah, I think they were, I think everyone was pretty surprised that McSorley was going to run and then um, discredit Riley Moss for getting blocked by a receiver down there. But the receiver made the right turn, made a great block on the outside for McSorley to keep running. Yeah, he did. That, that's, you know, one little probably somewhat praise I'm going to have for, you know, that Hawkeye defense too, maintaining, you know, the two starting, you know, true freshman cornerbacks where – you know, for the most part, all game, I thought, you know, they held their own. I think there were some big mistakes in there, don't get me wrong, and you're going to have that, um, especially with the young team, the top 25 matchup, you know, under the lights at Beaver Stadium. 
you know, that's going to be tough for anyone. But nonetheless, I think you got to give those guys credit where credit's due. So, Hawkeye fans, you take a sip of your beer and you turn around and all of a sudden it's 27-17 Penn State and they are looking pretty good. And then all of a sudden, pick six by our defense. Well, first, you're right. You're right. That's true. But first what happened was when it was 27-17 was they drove down into the Iowa red zone. Oh, that's right. You know, and that and that could have been a situation there where the I, you know, the defense turns it in and you know says, Screw it. It, "Let's go home." And you know they end up hopping on a fumble and you know taking it down the other way and um, you know putting putting their offense in a good position. And I don't know how many. I mean, I play a lot of fantasy football. I don't know how many of of your listeners out there play a lot of fantasy football. But to be honest with you, I'm I would be starting Iowa Hawkeye defense every every week. Mm-hmm. I mean, they just forced turnovers. Mm-hmm. You know, that one was, uh, we just got lucky and picked the ball up when he when he dropped it. I don't think we really forced that turnover. But we go down there, um, you know, we, we take advantage and turn it over, like, right, right in their own, um, I think it was in the red zone, or a three and out or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then that's when we had the pick six um, with Stone, took it into the end zone. Yep. All of a sudden, it's 27-24. Yep. Speaking of Stone, I love him getting more playing time as well. He looks good. He, he's just a ball player. He, he's a ball hawk. You saw him. I think his come out game was last year versus Nebraska when Iowa kind of blew it away late, and he just played. The dude, the dude lays smackdowns like he's Bob Sanders and just runs all over the field. And that's nothing against you know Jake Gervas or Monty Hooker by any means because they're both having great years as well. But would love to see. Love to see him get in a little more. And everybody who watched the Iowa-Penn State game, kind of a cool thing here. Geno Stone had actually taken nine unofficial visits to Penn State. Nine unofficial visits and did not get one offer from them. Went to Iowa. And the, the exact moment they were actually talking about it, ends up pick six, Trace McSorley, yep. to make the game a three-point game. Wow, that's awesome. You know, he's wearing a number nine like a notable former Iowa defensive back. Tyler Sash. Tyler Sash. T-Sash. R.I.P., man. R.I.P. First person I thought of when I saw him taking that into the end zone. Love it. Um, But, unfortunately, um, that would be the closest that we would get. Um, So, go ahead. Go ahead. What I was just going to touch on there, and you know, more in the game, in an overview, Rob, is we look at it, you know, it's not often where you're going to win, you know, the ball game, essentially on two facets of the games. You know, you look at the facets of, the game of football, and you have offense, defense, and special teams. You know, I thought special teams played outstanding with the exception of that long kickoff there late in the second half. They right. kind of, you know, put a damper on our comeback hopes. Um, that, along with, you know, the defense, I thought, for the most part, held their own against, you know, an incredibly high-powered Penn State offense. You know, I think just the offense blatantly just let us down in every facet on the line. You know, I think our running backs, with the exception of Makai Sargent, you know, I think Makai Sargent played well, and I think he, I think he might have earned his spot as the number one running back, truth be told. But you know, quarterback play let us down. Wide receiver play wasn't great. Um, and our notable tight ends, you know, I've been saying it all year how you can't block two at one time, or can't block, can't guard two at a time, and they did. So. Got to give credit to Penn State's D there. I love how you bring that up, too, because, I, I mean, and we'll get into this in a minute, but definitely my good vibe is going to be our special teams because our special teams has been nothing but phenomenal ever mm-hmm. since. Tavar Wood is doing a great job with those guys down there, too. But you say Tavar? 
Yeah. It's LeVar. Oh, my gosh. You big sill. Well, sorry, LeVar, if you're listening. I apologize <laughs> about that. But He um, was one. Cool story about him. He was on Kirk Ferentz's um, team that got the first ever win as Iowa Hawkeyes. Really? Yeah. Did not know that. Yep, in that Kirk Ferentz first year where they went 1-11. Nice. Wow. Nice. Mm-hmm. Oh, sounds good. Yeah. Well, um, I think the most uh, pivotal point in the game, right at the end, um, you know, towards the, I think it was the fourth quarter, we're on the four or five yard line, mm-hmm. and uh, you know we've run the ball a few times. I think it's I think it was third down. We run a pass play, um, and it looks like I don't know what he was looking at, but Stanley threw the ball and an interception. You know, right on their goal line. And well, yeah. That was, yeah, that that was that was the breaker. Yeah, yep. that that straw broke the camel's back without a doubt. You know, and that's one of those plays where I don't think that's necessarily all, you know, Stanley's fault, as we kind of, you know, alluded to earlier. Right. You know, that was just a mixture of bad shit happening. Where, you know, one, you got Ferentz running down the sideline trying to call a timeout. Yep. Two, you got Stanley changing the play at the last second. Can't can't do that in a loud environment when you're down. I don't know if they're on the student section end. Not that it matters in front of 104,000 fans anyways. Right. But, you know, and you got that, and you're trying to communicate this play to, you know, Noah Fant, who was the inside receiver. You're telling me that Amir Smith-Marset had any fucking idea what was going on? No way. Well, then we saw the replay. We saw the replay where he was saying, hey, check, check. We're checking out of it. Fant's looking right at Amir Smith when the ball is snapped. Yeah. Right. And so, I... (laughs) I was going to say, it looked like he zigged when he should have zagged. There was nobody there except a Penn State defense. Yeah, literally. And then that's what you can even tell, too. We were just talking about this before we started filming where, you know, God, look at me. I'm starting to get fired up now talking quick. Sorry, listeners. But, you know, he goes to throw that ball, and that looked like such a little fucking pussy dart right, you know, into that linebacker's arms. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's what you said. I don't think Fanton had any idea the ball was even snapped until, you know, it looked like they were going for, like, a pick slant route or something because he just, you know, Mosey's, It looked like a bad Mosey's snap a little bit. Or he fumbled, like, he didn't really fumble, but he, like... Mishandled it. Yeah, mishandled it, the, the ball. Like, and, and, and then he's fading back and there's pressure because it looks like it's, they're coming on a blitz. Mm-hmm. I think that's the only reason why that guy was there. Well, and that's part of that too, Rob, because you look at that how he didn't even look at Fant. You know, part of that slant is you want to look that linebacker off. You know, that's part of the reasons a slant's going to work. You know, if you're looking outside, you know, you might get that linebacker to take one step where a fan, you know, slants in there, he's going to be wide open for essentially that go-ahead touchdown. Um, I saw a comment on the play when we were looking at it on YouTube, and I wanted to bring this up to you guys. (laughs) We're going to let Dill calm down here, but let me field this one to you. They said it reminded them of uh, Seattle Seahawks in the Super Bowl. Just give the ball to the guy who's been running all game, Makai Sargent. I, you know, I, I was surprised to see a pass, but hey, like plays like that seem to have worked in the past, in the past for us. So, like, you know, I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like you know, if I'm calling plays, I'm running, I'm running the ball. But I think I think we had the defense on our on our on their heels the whole time. I think I think it was the right call to pass mm-hmm. completely. I think. But I think just the timing of it was, you know, incorrect. I think, you know, kind of like you said, you alluded to, Dylan, we had three timeouts left with how many, how much more time in the game so, and, left. And these, you think they should have passed? I think they should have passed still. I think they should have kept in the air. This personal opinion, you guys mm-hmm. are shaking your heads thinking right. no, but I think if we had the defense on their toes, I think the D-backs are tired. I think we had we had two tight ends in there against six-foot corners. I think you throw it up to either Hawkinson or Fant, that's a touchdown in the back of the end zone. You know, and, and I don't hate – you know, the 
checking out of that play. You know, whatever play they were going to run, I do not hate checking out of that. We'll never know. Because, um, you know, Kirk and Brian would never throw, you know, their quarterback under the bus like that. So we will never know what play was called. But so I don't hate him checking into that play. What I hate is him doing it with, you know, six, five or six seconds left on the play clock. You know, and these are the mistakes you're going to see with a young team. You know, we talk about how awesome it is that we have such a young team, young, talented team, where, you know, to be honest, this is probably their first big road test. Mm -hmm. And they flunked. You know, and I just don't know how much more you can dive into it than that, as much as it, you know, freaking sucks to say. Yeah. Well, final score of the game, um, Penn State 30, Iowa Hawkeyes 24. The sun came up on Sunday. You know, there will be another game on Saturday. And uh, I talked to Parker Hesse. Thanks to Parker here after after the game on Saturday. And, and like you said, they've already forgot it on the on the flight home. They already forgot it before even getting on the plane. So just like the Hawkeyes, us fans, we have to forget it and look forward here to Purdue. You know, yep. and that's such a good point there, Bo, because Kirk Ferentz says it every year. You know, whether he's got a four and eight team behind him or a, you know a potential twelve and zero team. You know, the goal is the same. The goal is to win a Big Ten title, um, and that's going to infuriate some Iowa fans. I I get that, Um, you know, because the goal should be to win national championships. You know, I get that. Um, But under this regime, the goal is going to always be to win a Big Ten title, and, you know, we're still in the running to do that. Which, why not? Why not go for a Big Ten title? You have to win a Big Ten title before you go national championship. I agree 100%. I love the thinking there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'm good with that too. Um, He's been there around long enough. Where it's like you know you don't want to you, you don't want to put something out there at, at the beginning of the season that seems unattainable, right. um, you know what I mean? Like, and I think it's entirely attainable that they could make it there. Um, I, I now after this Penn State game, maybe not anymore, but um, they still got a, a decent shot. I mean, depending on what happens um, yep. in the in the Big Ten, I mean they could they could still figure something out. I mean, and like I said, we alluded to this uh, before, guys, but. You know, the Big Ten, the way it's set up, these next two games that we have are big games. And, and so I agree with Kirk Ferentz, and, and it's nice to hear that from, a, a, you know, a current player, Parker Hesse, is like, look, hey, that's a tough game. Was it a game that we could have won? Yes. Should we have won that game? That's probably up for debate. Um, but I can tell you, you know, we got Purdue to worry about, which is a very dangerous squad. Yep. And then after that, we have Northwestern, which legitimately has a shot at a Big Ten title. Well, and here's the big deal here, Rob. We got four more games. Every Big Ten team has four more games. And we've seen how up and down every team has played this year. I mean, look at Purdue and Ohio State. I mean, that, I don't mean to say that was, a, that was a crazy game by any means, but nobody expected that, too. So the unexpected can happen. You never know if Iowa wins out. I think we got a good shot at making the Big Ten title. Um, but you know we got to play hard. We got to beat Purdue first, and we're gonna touch base on this, guys, because we did get. Uh, we're gonna touch that topic again because we did get a, cool, a heck of a question in the mailbag, um, thanks to one of our listeners. But um, before we do that, we got to do what we always do, which is after our recap, we get into some good vibes and bad vibes. Um, so, want to look at what are your good vibes? What are your bad vibes about the situation of Iowa's? You know, team right now coming out of this Penn State loss, looking ahead to a a, a Purdue um, game this weekend. Dill. Yeah. Um, so bad vibe. I'm just gonna get it out of the way. <laughs> we're, we're all about being positive here. So, 
Uh, yeah, bad vibes got to be the offensive play all the way around. Offensive yep. line, quarterback Nate Stanley. Um, yeah, it was just bad. So, <laughs> you know, hopefully hopefully they can respond. And, um, you know, and that's just the thing. You can't dwell on it. Yep. So, you know, I mean, they just don't have a choice. You know, we got four games left, so it's time to respond. So that would be my bad vibe is, you know, how can a young team go, you know, from dealing – because, you know, they have that rule, like you were talking about, Bo, and I think with a senior like Parker Hesse, it's probably a little bit easier to, you know, quote-unquote flush it. Whereas, you know, some of these younger guys, the Tristan Wirfs, you know, maybe even Stanley, um, you know, a few of these, those other guys on the offensive line, I feel like they might be carrying this with them. So, you know, can they flush? Can they get that Penn State game out of their system and come out and rock Purdue? So uh, I look forward to seeing it myself. As far as our good vibes go, you know, I'm going to have to go specifically with our, um, I was going to say the kicking game, but I more so mean the fake punts. Or not the fake punts necessarily, but fake field goal, fake punt mixture, where they come in with that weird formation where they have Rastetter as that quarterback. And as Bo alluded to last week, you know, was he all-state or all-conference? I think he was all-conference. All-conference. So, you know, a pretty darn good quarterback back in his day. And, um, you know, I just love it because – most teams, you know, they probably have, even on Madden, you have like one, maybe two trick plays out of the field goal formation that never work. And, you know, it looks like it looks like Iowa runs that probably in an entire offensive package, like in practice every week. So um, got a lot of things they can do out of it. So really enjoy seeing that. Sure. Um, I'll hit it next, guys. My good vibes uh, is going to be the Iowa Hawkeye defensive effort. Um, I mean, just a just another solid week turned in by the Hawkeye defense. Um, we forced two turnovers against a, one of the arguably the best offense in the Big Ten, um, with a you know a dangerous quarterback who did get loose on us, but we for the most part helped him help contain him for most of the game. And uh, our I feel like our defense is young. There's you know better players than other players on our defense, but everyone stepped up, and even including. Geno Stone, which we mentioned before, another good shout out. He, you know, he had a um, a heck of a interception return for a touchdown, and and that's a guy who hasn't seen a lot of playing time this year, and uh, somebody who you know hopefully will be able to contribute in the upcoming games as well. So, really impressed with our defensive effort, um, and I thought that is exactly what uh, what we need to have every week. And Rob, I just want to comment on that. So, you know, I was sitting over here as you were going through that, and I was thinking. You know, trying to be play a devil's advocate to some scenario, if I could. Yeah. Where it's like, okay, yeah, if our defense is so great, how did we give up 30 points? Well, and then I took a look at the stats, you know, and total yards on defense given up was 312. You know, and the Iowa Hawkeyes created two turnovers, um, held Penn State to 16 first downs and only 24 minutes uh, time of possession, whereas the Hawks had 35. Mm-hmm. You know, over almost an entire quarter more, the Hawkeyes had the ball. Yeah. So, literally, you, you cannot say one bad thing about that defense. Yeah. So, I mean, that's this has got to be entirely on the offense. And, you know, this is on Brian Ferentz's shoulders. So, yeah, they got to figure would, that out. I would agree with that. I, I felt like we had – I mean, when you even brought that up, I mean, looking back at the game, I mean, we, we had the ball for the majority of the time, and you can see that difference um, in the time of possession. But – so heck of a heck of a job to the Hawkeye, Hawkeye defense there. Um, my bad vibes, I think, is um, I mean I have to talk about the offense. Um, I think the uh, 
just the play calling maybe had something to do with a little bit of what was going on um, with Brian Ferentz. Obviously, you know, he's he's also the guy that we would praise on, you know, games where we would come out with big wins. So it's it's a tough one. But, I mean, when you know, you're always going to have adversity. You're always going to have games like this. And this is what builds great teams is a, a loss like this. And so maybe this will play out, you know, better toward – maybe we'll be a better team after this game because of this game, um, which is something to think about, you know, moving forward. Um, one thing that stuck out to me as far as the offense goes – um, we are seven for twenty on third down efficiency, which is rough. You know what I mean? Uh, we're yeah. coming up with we had twenty attempts and we only got, you know, a fir- you know a first down on seven of those, which is, you know, just something that is a little bit abysmal, especially with all the uh, things that we everyone was excited about about our offense. So I would say that's my bad vibe. Yeah, kind of, Rob, I'll take it from here. Um, I'll just make it short and sweet. I think my bad vibe is the offensive line. I think the offensive line let uh, let Penn State actually look pretty good. I will give it give credit to Penn State's D-line for looking actually very well. I think they played above their standards and, and came to the test. But I think there was quite a few times we saw a lot of the offensive line for Iowa miss assignments, miss a couple of, uh, miss a couple of key blocks, and uh, not get credit where it's due. So, I think uh, my bad vibe going into this week is to see where the offensive line can go from here. I don't know if Stanley's injury is going to be bugging him. I don't think he will. But uh, just making sure that he's protected for a game like this. against. Speaking Purdue. of, I might have just been looking at my computer and totally missed it. So what the hell happened? Like, I, I saw they panned in on him having his thumb all taped up. Yeah. So to start the final second to last drive, Stanley was backed up in the end zone, threw a beautiful pass to Noah Fant right across the middle of the field. And he hit one of his uh, his players' helmets with his thumb. They thought it was broken. They took an X-ray. They don't think it's broken this week so far. Stanley's been to practice every single day and thrown just fine. So I think it was just a bruised bruised thumb, but uh, it looked kind of like a Brett Favre Brett Favre hit the back of the helmet with your hand kind of deal. Yeah. So um, and then we'll go into good vibes here. Do I'm going to mirror you just a little bit, but I'm going to talk most specifically about the return game. I think I was due for a big. Time return touchdown call toadies is what I like to call them. We've uh, we've had a lot of great success with uh, Bra- Amir Smith Marset. Brandon Grunewig has done all right, but Amir Smith Marset. Wait, right? Kyle yeah. Grunewig. No, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, Amir, right. Yep, ISM. Yep, you're right. So Amir Smith Marset has had two straight games where he's had great returns. Yeah. Didn't hurdle this last time, um, but I think he's gonna. I think he's gonna have a house call this time because he. They're, they're doing something special there on special teams. So good vibe for Iowa moving forward is uh, special special teams in the return game. Boys, you guys ready to crack another beer? Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, God, talking about that horrid game. That Just chugging my beer looking back on that game. So right. before, let's get into Purdue here and let's chug a beer. Let's go. All right. So, guys, the Purdue Boilermakers are 4-4, four and four, second currently in the Big Ten West. Um, they went on a little uh, winning streak right whiskey. in the middle of their schedule. Um, and after starting the year with three straight losses to Northwestern, an EMU team, and Mizzou, uh, the Purdue Boilermakers came back and beat number 23-ranked Boston College, a very sorry Nebraska team, a pretty whatever Illinois team, and then they came back and beat the number two team in the nation, Ohio State, 49-20. Just this last week, they played Michigan State and lost 23-13. Guys, what do you think about this Purdue Boilermaker team? So I think, first and foremost, this team is just dangerous. I think 
you know, when people think Purdue, they think of last year and what the heck was that wide receiver's name that just torched us? I can't remember it off the For top three of touchdowns? Yeah. I can look it up. For I three, hate that guy. Three, three touchdowns right in a row. You know, and those, Same play look like. Yeah, and those were all thrown on Manny Ragumba. Just got, got torched. I think even Josh Jackson got torched on that third one. So, um, you know, you give credit where credit's due there. I don't think, you know, they're going to be prepared for that this year. You're not going to get beat by that. So I think you'll see a lot of, you know, too deep. Um Two deep coverages there, but nonetheless, they're a dangerous football team. Um, remind me a lot of the Hawkeyes of last year where, you know, maybe the record may not indicate how good this football team just really is. Yeah, I think they have a lot of weapons on offense. I think the biggest one is uh, the number four receiver. Uh, his last name is Moore. I mean, he's got a got a great track season so far, 68 receptions, 800 yards, seven touchdowns, and he was a big factor in uh, Purdue beating Ohio State. But Dylan, I want to raise you here. I think this is an inconsistent team. I know they started out very inconsistent, and since then they've kind of kept their kept their composure. They went to East Lansing last week and lost to my beliefs a bad Michigan State team. I think they're definitely down. I'm not sure where they're at confidence wise this week, but I think knowing that Iowa lost a game that they shouldn't have kind of gives them a little bit of confidence, maybe a leg up here uh, as far as that goes. But I think uh, I think Purdue is definitely like you said a dangerous, but I think where they're dangerous at is going to be offensive. I don't think their defense is super scary. they got a couple of good players, good linebacker, but I think the biggest thing is Iowa's defense is going to get tested against Purdue's offense. Well, and that, that's funny you bring that up, too, about Rondell Moore. Um, funny enough, if you guys had to guess, how old would you assume he is? Probably been, you know, under the helm a couple of years and you know, true mer- freshman, right? that offense. Yeah, he's a true freshman. So, <laughs> so I was going to have this thorn in our side for the next four years. Uh, speaking of um, pretty receivers, that guy last year, Anthony Mahongu. Mahungu, he's a French receiver. Um, but his line, the last time we played him, was seven receptions for 135 yards and two touchdowns. I think it seemed like three because he had another catch that was way down the sideline that he didn't take in for a touchdown. Right, right. But it was literally almost short. the exact same play. Um, but anyways, regardless... Um, yeah, this Purdue team is dangerous. Um, they, they've got a, a pretty decent passing attack that, um, you know, that was on display against Ohio State. And a lot of people, you know, will say, well, hey, you know, what's so special about Ohio State's defense? I think, you know, talking to, you know, some friends of mine that are Ohio State fans, I think the defense is a little bit down this year. But I can tell you that still, you know, bar, I mean, an unranked Purdue team currently, 49 points against Ohio State. I think it was on the road. No, it no, was at it was home. At, it was, at, it was home. at home. No, it was at home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like an Iowa-Ohio State game of last year. I don't know if you're getting ready to say yeah. that, but it yeah. literally was uh, kind of the, the same exact montage. I think the big thing there with, you know, and where I think our defense is going to succeed on Saturday is you just can't let this offense get into a rhythm. Where, where Ohio State, you know, I think that program's just so used to winning, they get down two scores and maybe don't know necessarily how to react and – come back all the time. I think they've had a couple comeback victories already this year, but no, I think our defense holds them. Um, you know, I think they're going to score. I don't think this game is going to be a shutout by any means, but yeah, you hold, you hold them, you knock them out of a rhythm, you get a three and out here, a three and out there, um, and you'll keep that score down. Guys, one thing to keep in mind too, um, as I don't know if you guys all watched the Purdue Ohio state game, but Purdue has somebody special in attendance and we want to shout them out here. Tyler Trent, who has been battling uh, cancer, 
for uh, for three years now will actually be in attendance again. He was in attendance against Ohio State, and all he wanted to do was come to a football game and watch Purdue play hard and play big. So they're going to be coming inspired. One thing, I'll read the tweet from Tyler Trent. He says, I'm happy to announce as long as my health allows, him and his family will be at Ross H Stadium to cheer on the Boilermakers. They take on Iowa at on Saturday at uh, 2.30 on ESPN. And one thing special, guys, that, that really hits me home is that they're going to take time to wave to the University of Iowa Children's Hospital at the end of the, the first quarter. Guys, that, number one, melts my heart. Number two, they got this phenomenal kid uh, with great character fighting fighting cancer right now on their side. Do you think this affects the way that Purdue plays? Yeah, uh, I would say yes. Um, it is something that's going to affect because that's probably a story that the coaches are working in um, to the players to help get them inspired for the game. Um, I can also tell you um, another thing inspiring these Purdue players is coming off of this Ohio State win when they were on a high, and then they were like us last year, where Mm -hmm. we did the same thing, and then we play Purdue, and then we lose. Um, You know, I think Purdue expect to to beat the world after they beat Ohio State, and so now I feel like they really got something to prove, Um, and so that's why I think that they're definitely going to be playing inspired. Um, Not to even mention the fact that, you know, they have that that story going on personally, so. And and on a little less note, Guys, has it seemed like David Blau has been there for 10 years? <laughs> yeah. He's kind of like the Kyle Kemp of, of college football. Pretty much. Because Kyle Kemp has been everywhere, and now David Blau, it seems like he's been there literally for five five or six years. Well, and you got to remember with Kyle Kemp, too, he's now going to get his eighth year of eligibility because <laughs> he got passed up on the depth chart, and um, you know I'm sure some quarterback's coach will get rearranged, so... He can get another year of eligibility. I'm sure. Somehow. I'm sure that's how that works. You Man, and I was listening. idiotic NCAA. If you're listening to this, I was listening to the radio, and they think this. They think that there's some like true freshman quarterback that's better than Brock Purdy at, at Iowa State. I don't know what's going on over there. I don't know. Maybe we should. You know, I I don't even want to compare Iowa to Iowa State right now because there's so many out there, so many people out there saying, "Oh, if we played Iowa State again." It'd be a completely different story. It's like you know what, completely different tangent. We're not getting into it, but unbelievable. <laughs> see, see, Iowa State fans say that every single year. Yes, they say that any year that so, Iowa beats them. But oh, if God forbid we say that after you know we run the table after say losing to them. Oh, if we played now and they're like, oh, but we're not playing now. Little brother syndrome. You guys shut the hell up. <laughs> well, speaking of names. Uh, you know, guys, you know, we were talking about David Blau. Uh, Blau. Wow. Blau, yeah. Um, wow. For, for Purdue. Even as a freshman, he saw a significant playing time at Purdue, and I think that's why it seems like he's the old man out there. But uh, he's thrown for 8,000 career yards, uh, 57 touchdowns, and 38 interceptions. He's been there for 10 years. Stats <laughs> mean nothing. This is his fourth straight season uh, playing as a starting quarterback for the Boilermakers. Yeah. And so far, Rob, to go off that, he's already got twenty three thousand or twenty three hundred yards with thirteen touchdowns and five interceptions. I know in his career, I think he's been known to throw a lot of picks. Pretty, uh, pretty similar numbers though, comparing him to Nate Stanley with uh, sixteen touchdowns, eight interceptions. A little bit off there, but uh, pretty similar as far as that goes. But pretty good passing quarterback. We're going to see him throw the ball around, especially to Rondell Moore and DJ Knox. Yeah, and just to go along with that, I mean, you look at the seasons and things that he's had in the past. In uh, 2016, David Blau uh, attempted 517 passes on the year. Um, so this is, you know that this is a Purdue team that's going to want to throw. They actually ranked 11th right now in the entire NCAA in passing yards per game at 330 yards a game. 
Um, so I think it's really just a matter of this, uh, uh, you know, Iowa defense. I think it's really going to hinge on the play of a couple of different players, such as A.J. Epinesa mm-hmm. on third down um, coming in and, and rattling the quarterback. I think we really need to be able to put the pressure on him um, in order to make plays on defense. Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, it's going to be just like anything else for us to win. You know, the pass rush is going to have to be there and it's going to have to be consistent. Um, and a big part of keeping, you know, the pass rush fresh is keeping the defense fresh. And how do you keep the defense fresh? You keep the defense off the field. How do you keep the defense off the field? You run an efficient offense, which we didn't see last Saturday, but we're not talking about that anymore. You know, and Rob, just to bring up your point here too, Iowa's defense is only averaging 16.1 points a game giving up. So this is a Purdue team that is coming off of a game where they beat Ohio State 49-20. They scored 46 points against Illinois. 42 points against Nebraska. So they know how to put up some numbers. You know, the big thing, kind of like you said, is just to keep our defense off the field, but yeah. keeping those guys under wraps and, and keeping it to short passes instead of those big plays. Yeah, and that's funny you bring that up because uh, I think I brought it up, gosh, the last three or four weeks we've done now, but I like to go to, you know, Hawkeye Report and uh, dabble into Tom Kakert's, uh behind enemy lines that he does where, you know, he interviews, you know, the beat writer through the rival site through for the opponent te- opponent opponent for the upcoming week and you know talking to this guy whose name I forget I'll scroll up and find it later but you know Purdue offense right now their defense has been allowing you know over 400 yards a game but only allowing 22.7 points per game hmm. so i mean what that tells me more or less is how efficient this team is in the red zone and that's one of those things too where you know i think I was really, really disappointed in Iowa's first quarter play where a lot of people aren't talking about that. They're talking about the mistakes down the line. But, you know, in situations like when you start the game, you got to get the ball in the end zone. Um, nonetheless, you can't be pussyfarting around. And, you know, I get, oh, God, I get stuff happens and you got to get points. But, you know, it's just tough. You know, when you get the ball in the end zone, you got to make the most of it. Kind of a cool thing here, too. ESPN has Iowa 52 52- Point five percent favorite over Purdue, which uh, which we think will be pretty good here too. Uh, well, and that's what I saw the line specifically, mm-hmm. Bo. And so the line betting lines have Purdue at minus three right now, yeah. which if you guys know much about sports betting, essentially that just means this game's a toss up. So because um, typically the home team's going to get three points anyway. Yeah, no, and, and I think we got two good teams going. You know, Dill, I'll just pose this question to you here, too. You know, if Iowa wins this, I mean, do they have a legitimate shot of of going to the Big Ten title game? You think they're going to win the Big Ten? Just a real quick thought. You know, I think a lot a lot of things got to happen, you know. You know, number one, you got to look at the rest of Wisconsin's schedule, who's, you know, kind of leading the pack there. You got to look at Northwestern's schedule, who really doesn't have – you know, that tough of a road the way out, um, you know, with the exception of a trip to Iowa City. Um, yeah, I mean, I they control their own destiny. Right. I, I don't know what else to say. I know I we've think. been talking about that a lot too. But. I mean, the way they have it set up here, um, which is I was just reading, which I think is really cool. Um, Iowa obviously is going to be able to control their own destiny up into a point because you can't take back those close losses to Wisconsin and Penn State. But – they say that they got about a one in three shot at winning the division if they uh, if they win out. So we got to beat Purdue because Purdue has some quality wins. 
uh, and we'll beat Northwestern uh, hopefully next week. And that, that would essentially be a tiebreaker, too. Right. Northwestern win. Yeah, and we'll have the head-to-head matchup. Um, and then so we could be playing for a conference championship with a couple more wins. Um, and obviously it would help if there's some chaos elsewhere, but who knows, you know, so – that I mean, that's I mean, we we're still definitely not out of it. Uh, we still got a lot to play for. Well, with that being said, Rob, let's just kind of jump right here into predictions real quick. Mm-hmm. We'll start with you. We got Iowa at Purdue, two thirty ESPN game. Looks like it's going to be decent weather, a little chilly, but nonetheless, we are in Big Ten play here. What are your thoughts here, Iowa Purdue? I'm going to jump right into it, guys. I think it's going to be an Iowa win, 27. 20 to seven. Oh, 27. Oh, okay. I thought you said, so they said 27. 27, yeah. So it's just Purdue not going to show up. I'm so confused. Uh, Purdue's going to be there, but I think the Iowa defense is going to be too much. We've held some big teams um, with big offenses to um, not their best performances. We let up the big play every now and again, but I think uh, we really put it together against Purdue and come back strong. Yeah, I'm with you, Rob. This team's going to come out pissed off. They have to. If... You know, if Ryan Ferentz is half the leader I think he is, this team is going to come off with a chip on their shoulder, and they're going to be ready to go. And I think Purdue's, you know, I think, you know, it's their turn to be a little jet lag. They're going to be traveling. So I think Iowa scores early and often. You know, I'm I'm almost hesitant to say you know, I'm going like 38-7. I think, Ooh. yeah, Ooh. I, I think Penn State throws someone on the board, but um, maybe not garbage time. I think they score early, but Iowa blows it away. Nice. Oh, I like that. I think we're going to have a couple of field goals here on both ends. But all in all, I think Iowa's going to win it 24-13. to 13, I think that uh, Purdue is only going to get down in the red zone a couple of times and only come away with a couple of field goals. So feeling pretty confident about Iowa's defense. I think they're playing inspired. They're going to play pretty tough, pretty loud. Purdue's going to be there. But Iowa's offense is going to get rolling, and we're going to rush up the ground game for sure. Perfect. So we got our predictions in. Um, speaking of that, who won predictions last week? I don't think any of us did because uh, we all picked Iowa. Well, <laughs> but I was going to say it's probably me. Um, I think I picked them really, really close, and I was about spot on, yeah. I want to say. Sure. You know what, Dylan? Just, just Dylan always thinks he wins. Yeah. All right. Well, um, definitely want to you know keep track there to see what oh, the yeah, results you had, were. You had it on your sticky note, Dick Four. Where is it? I looked, and I, I – uh, yeah – yeah, I don't have it. That's <laughs> all right. Um, well, guys, I, I do want to take some time just to kind of look at the, the um, I guess, the landscape of college football currently. Um, so looking at um, after this week, we did have a lot of teams make some moves and really just basically a lot of the same teams that are at the top of the list in the college football playoff um, the first week of them showing what it would be like if the season ended today um, in the playoffs. So we did have uh, Alabama at number one um, into the Clemson at number two, uh, Notre Dame number three, and LSU uh, number four. Um, Looking at rounding out the the four teams that would make the playoffs. Yeah, so hilarious you bring that up because I I just pulled up the standings as well. And did you guys notice – um, right now in the betting line. So Alabama is going to LSU this weekend to play. So it's the number one Alabama Crimson Tide versus the number three. Uh, four. L- 
Oh, okay. The Depends one I'm, on what I'm, you're I'm, looking at. I'm looking at the one on ESPN. Oh, 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 okay. So, um, the college football playoff has LSU at three. Oh, okay. He has them at four. You're right. Yeah. Okay, okay. That's what you're saying. Yep. But, nonetheless, so Alabama's going into Death Valley, and they're still favored by ten. And so that's, you figure with the three-point and everything, Alabama's not going to get beat this year. They are outrageous once again. Um but yeah, I just wanted to bring that up. I don't think that's ever happened in the history of college football. So Nick Saban going back to his did he play at all? Did he, he coach coached there. at LSU? I was gonna yeah. say. Because yep. he co- did he coach at Florida too? No. He just well, coached he maybe. went he went from I thought he went from LSU no, to I pros. Don't know. I'm thinking yeah, NFL. you're right. Yeah, and then back. I think that uh you're thinking maybe Urban Meyer, because he coached at Florida oh, okay. sometime too. But yeah, well, I don't know. Going back, uh, so that'll be a heck of a game. You know, obviously, neither of us are big uh, SEC fans, but that'd be a heck of a game to watch. Um, and obviously, it'll be a night game on Saturday night um, at 8 o'clock Eastern. So, around around house here in Iowa, it'll be about 7 o'clock. You can you tune go. in to watch that game. There you go. So, that'll be a heck of a game. Um, the rest of the, you know, top 25, there is some significant um, – there's some significant teams from the Big Ten that are still in there. Um, and despite the loss uh, last week, I was number 16. Um, and then going down from there, guys, uh, if I can get this pulled up here, um, we do have still a lot of teams that are that are ahead of us. But, I mean, I expected us to take a little bit of a dip, but it looks like we, we stayed up there. Yeah, no, and, and it's kind of surprising that uh, we lose to a Penn State team that actually comes back and is ranked 14th this week. And, and we go up two spots in the college football playing rankings. And then uh, the next Big Ten team you see is Ohio State at 10, at 7-1. and one. And then we look all the way up to Michigan, who's 7-1, and one, the ranked number five. Just sitting outside of the college football Just playoffs. outside of the football playoffs. So, I don't know, guys. I, I personally think that Michigan's the team to beat in the Big Ten this year. I think that yeah. they get it done against Ohio State. I think if yeah. we're going to be playing Indianapolis, that Michigan's going to be tough to beat. Shea Patterson's a pretty good quarterback. they got a nasty defense. I think Iowa and Michigan both – are the top two defenses in in the conference right now? Do you think with a win against Ohio State that Michigan is going to be able to propel themselves into a uh, into a playoff situation if LSU loses this week? Absolutely no, no. This is my thought. I don't think that Notre Dame Notre Dame has a cake schedule, and I think at the end of the year Notre Dame won't even make it in the top four. I okay, so that's that brings up another thing because then you got Central Florida, yeah, who's claiming that they won the championship last year, yeah. yeah. No, um, but they got a heck of a game coming up in a couple of weeks where they're going to be playing South Florida, I believe, wow, who is South also Florida. undefeated. Oh, yeah. la di da. Yeah, you know what? This is ridiculous to me. I think Notre Dame needs to pick a conference because this whole under uh, they should be in the Big shit, Ten. Yeah, I that or the ACC. If they play in the ACC, then they play Clemson at least. You know, yeah, I give them I give them props at the beginning of the schedule. They play all these teams. They play Michigan. They beat Michigan. Whatever. I think. Notre Dame does not deserve to be undefeated right now. LSU, I think, is the best. One loss going to be two-loss team. Honestly, it sucks they're going to have to play Alabama for to go to the big whatever SEC title game. LSU is a great team. LSU is a better team than Notre Dame will ever be this season. I'm calling you out, Notre Dame football. We'll tag you on this. But I it's think, a hot take. I like I think, it. I think the ACC is weak. Clemson's a good team in the ACC. I think LSU is a great team. I think they're better than Georgia. Obviously, they are because they beat them. But it's going to come down to Alabama playing Georgia in the SEC title game. Yep. Georgia's going to lose. Just like last year. Yeah, Alabama's going to be in, and then somehow LSU's going to get boned, and they're not going to make the Final Four, which I think Big Ten title winner 
whether that be Michigan or Ohio State, is going to make it in if they happen to beat the the West team. Which, but we're talking a lot of a right. lot of talk here. Which so. brings up the conversation you're going to hear in every single drunken setting ever with anybody who knows even the littlest bit about the new college football playoff system. Where this this four top four is no longer. It's not going to be enough much longer. When you have five Power Five conference teams yep. that, you know, essentially I've always felt that you take the champions of them and then throw in a couple wild cards that might be undefeated. You know, you look at like a possible UCF if they remain the season undefeated. You look at the Notre Dames who are independent. You know, I think that's the way this is going because, you know, when you have five big conferences, four teams just isn't going to cut it. Right. And I 100% agree with you, and I've been saying this all the entire time. And I don't think we should go into a completely ridiculous 64 you know, <laughs> team thing like they do in the uh, March Madness brackets. But I'll tell you, like four teams is not enough. No. There's too many good teams out there nowadays. Um, go, and, with, go with eight. I mean, yeah. If you, if you take then then you're going to have the conference winners of the Power Five conferences. You're going to have room for three other teams, which could be like your undefeated Notre Dames, mm-hmm. which, you know is going to happen and then you're going to you know your UCFs then you're going to have also like your one loss or two loss you know conference second and conference guys um you know to maybe set up like you know what if we had a situation where then you know we were looking at like a uh if we had an 18 playoff it'd be like a rematch right. of like a, a couple of SE like Alabama Georgia title game would be a rematch to the conference championship mm-hmm. game i think those are the things that i would be looking forward to if we make that change. I think it's taking steps to get there, but I think it's going to take a lot more of situations maybe yet to come where people get left out right. to where they are motivated enough to change it. Yep. Um, I also think, and this is a hot take for you, fellas, I also think that every team in the NCAA should be, um, like, and you brought this up earlier, Bo, but they should be mandated to join a conference. That you could not be eligible for the end of the year playoff or any bowl schedule without being assigned to a conference. Well, how how does Notre Dame get away with that? How have they got away with it? For I think so it's many grandfathered years in since Catholic, they've been Catholic pricks. Just think they're better than everyone. <laughs> Good God! <laughs> but uh, but you know what I mean. You need just to be a part of a con. You need to be a part of a conference in order for play to be. You know, but you know, I guess maybe they maintain that they're able to schedule a harder schedule because they don't have to maintain to the conference schedule that they would have to play if they were a part of yeah, a conference. Yeah, they can play middle of the tier teams from every conference and call that a tough schedule. But, more. but let me let me ask you this, guys. Now I want to jump into this in our mailbag, and this is a question that was asked to me not this year but last year. Um, but I I can bring it up again because I just thought of it, um, and I can't remember who asked me. But if Iowa was independent and not Notre Dame, and they played similar schedules, I think Iowa could be a team that goes undefeated and could be, you know, two and three. You know, what are your thoughts if, if Iowa wasn't a part of the Big Ten? So let's let's break this down here. We'll start with their schedule. So Notre Dame, the only game they played is Michigan, the, the game to start. So they played Michigan, who's the number, who was the number 14 team at the time. Then... The only other team they played was Stanford. A Stanford, a bad Stanford team that's 500 right now. And then a Virginia Tech team who was ranked 24th at the time, which Virginia Tech has been so lopsided. And they played in the won. ACC. Yes. And they played Pittsburgh, a Navy team last week that is only 2-5. and five. Like, Their schedule, their strength of schedule right now, 
college football analysts oh. are going to look at this and be like, what in the hell is going on? It's Doc. And, you know, so <laughs> Bo, Bo talks about how they're not playing any teams. You go on to look at the rest of these teams. You look at Ball State. You look at a bottom of the tier Stan, or Vanderbilt team in the SEC. You look at a bottom tier ACC team in Wake Forest. You look at Virginia Tech, who is ranked decent team this year. So, I mean, I think that's a good win for them, perhaps, whatever. Then you look at a down pit team out of the ACC. You look at Navy, and then you got, you know, right now the Big Ten West leader, Northwestern, coming up this weekend. I almost kind of hope they smack them and drop them down the stretch. I think this is where Notre Dame's, Notre Dame's going to lose this week. I think Notre Dame's going down in Northwestern. Everyone's saying, oh, USC, you better watch out. This is a bad USC team. The Pac-12 is full of a bunch of bitches. Those, <laughs> those teams are bad. Like, they're, they're bad. You got an Oregon team that is losing to a Washington State team that's just average. I don't know. You know what? Sue me. But you know what? I, that's, that's just how I feel. I feel the same way. And I've always been saying that. And I think – and everyone knows it. And, you know, the, these these big conferences like the Big Ten, uh, the SEC specifically as well, um, they beat up on each other. They have a lot of good teams. And I think that's what makes our conferences strong. Um, but it's not necessarily the case anymore having a strong conference because really what matters is the record. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that's what they would value more. And, and even we saw this a couple of years ago. It was like, what, what does the uh, committee value more to get into the playoff? Is it going to be like the, the conference champion or is it undefeated or one loss team? Well, and then they'll sit there and they'll give you that BS answer. That's the eye test. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, if we're watching, you know, Notre Dame play Vanderbilt versus watching Alabama play LSU, it's like, oh, well... Our eyes are telling us, no, that's such fucking bullshit. They're looking at stats. You're telling me Condoleezza Rice knows her shit about football? Yeah, <laughs> blow your fucking dad. Not a chance. Unbelievable. Blow your dad. Unbelievable. <laughs> well, that's a hot take for sure. Um, <laughs> but we do have some other questions I wanted to get into, guys. Um, Bo, um, I think you brought one up. Um, actually, you know, we'll do this one and then we'll end with yours, Bo, because I really like your question. Um, okay, so another guy... Uh, Austin from Iowa City had a great question to us, um, which kind of pertains to what's left to play for for the Iowa Hawkeyes. Um, And I believe the question went a little something like, maybe it's better, would you say, I guess, so the question would be, would you say that it's better that Iowa lost to Penn State because at the end of the year, when we get into a bowl situation, we'll actually be in a bowl that Iowa would have a chance to win rather than if we... Or the Big Ten champions, um, or you know, we beat ten, Penn State and then have to play a team that's like a one-loss or two-loss LSU team and get smacked in the bowl game. Absolutely, absolutely not. That's a loser. That's a loser's <laughs> mentality. Yeah. No, Until, I, as I, I was stumbling I through that. that question, I, I just that. saw you ticking. I, I absolutely hate that <laughs> mentality. It's a loser's mentality. You know, you talk about everybody always sits here and bitches like, oh, Kirk Ferentz is going to go seven and five this year. Ha <laughs> That's the ceiling. It's like, you want to fucking change the way people think about the Iowa Hawkeyes. You go in and you expect to win, you know, win the Big Ten championship, go into the college football and make some college football playoff and make some noise every year. I hate that. That is a loser's mentality. That needs to get stripped from Iowa football. And it all stems from, you know, people in the forest, Eva Shecky years where the Hawks went, you know, two and nine, three and eight every year. And... You know, and that's carrying over. Well, oh gosh, we're just little old Iowa. We can't get anybody to come here. 
fucking loser's mentality. I don't want to hear it. I agree. I think that uh, I think that like you resorted to earlier, Big Ten title is the first thing we need to we need to go for, and then from there we go to the na- national championship. I don't know one team that doesn't want to win every single game that they play right. every year. I think that's just terrible mentality. Do I think Iowa has the caliber to compete with some of those teams like in Alabama? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I just don't think that we. I think the Big Ten is tough as it is, but SEC strength. We'll see. I, I there's some there's some good teams at the SEC that I think Big Ten teams could beat, and I think we've seen that in the past. Well, and that's what with Austin's question. I don't think he necessarily thought that you know he wants Iowa to lose this game necessarily, but that seems to be the typical Iowa way where we lose the game and try to rationalize and think about it like oh. You know, that that's better we lost, so now we can win our bowl game at the end of the season, which is fucking bullshit. <laughs> no. Like no no coach in their right mind thinks like that. No player in their right mind thinks like that. Um, you know, I get I get the rationale, Austin. I really do, but no, absolutely I, I absolutely hate that. What I want is for this loss to stew in the pit of Brian Ferentz's stomach. I want this loss to stew in the pit of Nate Stanley's stomach. I want this loss to stew in the pit of the Iowa offensive line. And I want them to come out and punch those fucks from West Lafayette right in the fucking mouth. <laughs> Woo! If that wasn't a hot take, like that was a red hot take. Like we just took that take right out of the oven. Yeah, I, I apologize to any... Kids that are listening to this, but no, no, I, I love don't apologize. It. I'm just love kidding. It. Perfect. Well, we're explicit for a reason, and we drink beers. That's right. Um, okay. What are your thoughts on that, Bo? I don't have much to say. I think Dylan took the words <laughs> right out of my mouth. Okay, um, well, let's get to the next yeah. question then. I, um, so, Bo, you, you're talking about you had a heck of a question for the mailbag. Yeah, yeah. I have one more question here for us, guys. Ooh, and, and I actually just got one in late too. But you know what? Yeah, we'll end on yours because this is good. We're going to go back. I know we're not thinking about last week. I know we got the 24-hour rule, but we're going to go back this week. So a, a friend of mine, Clay, from West Liberty, actually now living up in Minneapolis, reached out and said, it looked to me as though they took the visor off of Nate Stanley's uh, face mask here. Do you suppose that that was prescribed to him, to Bye. where he, uh, to where he had to wear that, and then when they took it off, he couldn't see the defense, or do you suppose that uh, they took it out because of rain? <laughs> is that is that a serious question, Clay? I you know uh, what I don't think it's a smart ass. I think he's being a smart ass. <laughs> here I am googling Nate Stanley glasses. No, question I think, mark. I think he's just saying that to be a smart ass, just because I think that we all kind of agreed on this that Nate Stanley didn't have his best game as a hockey. But you know, one big thing that I always have to say. The guy's 21 years old. Mm-hmm. We can't – he's not a professional yet. Yeah, he is getting some uh, a full ride and great education at the University of Iowa. But at the same time, we can't always hang our hat you know, on, on that play. There's going to be mistakes. And, you know, it sucks. We brought up, you know, his inability to pick up a zone blitz all year long. Whereas, you know, you got to think about it from that quarterback perspective. And what they're taught is they need to be looking off defenders. Yeah. And so when you look off a defender – you know, you, you got peripheral vision, and that's all you see. And when you see a Noah Fant right there, you know, nine times out of ten, that big son of a gun is going to come down with the ball. So um, I appreciate your humor there, Clay, but, <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, and so we actually got another mailbag in late here that I wanted to bring up to you guys as well that, you know, really it's kind of sparked my curiosity that could we could probably talk for another hour on, honestly, but... 
So do you guys, this one comes from Zach. He's originally from Mount Vernon, Iowa. Hmm. He's a big old goon. But do you guys think the coaches put Stanley in the position to win the ball game Saturday? Wow. I, I'll be honest with you. And I was preaching this a little earlier, but I don't think so. I don't think the coaches had the right game plan in mind. I think uh, seeing that we only targeted Noah Fant one time in the first half and, and then saw how explosive he was in the, the second half of the game, I thought that uh, execution was not there, but I also think that coaching was 100% not there either. I think we had some great plays drawn up. But I think execution overall on the offensive side of, of things is that they put Stanley in a bad situation. Obviously, we had that one pick that uh, we should have called a timeout on. But uh, other than that, I don't think it was, it was a great coached football game on the offensive side. You know, it, it's one of those things for me, Bo, where the stats tell all. Um, you know, the fact that Nate Stanley threw 49 passes in a game that had that much rain in an offense built – off the pro I formation, you know, that's, that's where I'm going to have to agree with you. I know, you know, my rant earlier on execution and I, I still firmly believe in that. You know, I'm, I'm a coach's guy where, you know, I think we have to execute to win a ball game no matter what. But as far as being put in a position to win, if you're throwing the ball 49 times in a game, that, that sloppy, that wet in a big 10 field, when you have the offensive line and the running game that you do, I, that's asinine. It's asinine. It's something that comes from a young offensive coordinator, you know, that's still learning his way around the game too. And keep in mind, this is an Iowa Hawkeye team that out possessed the ball by over ten minutes against Penn State and their touted offense, heavily right. touted offense. I mean, why didn't we run the ball more? I mean, I like the you know, putting the ball in Nate Stanley's hands and no and normally I would, you know, like be on board with that. But after the, you know, what we were looking at with what we had going on in the first half and then the third quarter, then we get down in the fourth quarter, I mean, and we're still going after it. I mean, I know that it's good to stay home as far as, like, being a coach and not getting too caught up in the situation and calling something too ridiculous. But at the same time, like, Micaiah Sargent is, five, is averaging five yards a carry on the game. I think he had, um, like, 14 carries for 90-some yards or something like that. Yep. Um, and then, not to mention the talent that we have with Torin Young, like, and we got the we got the battle in the trenches won. Um, so I, yeah, I'm on board. Like, run the ball, run the ball during on the interception that he threw. Mm-hmm. You know that would that was a chance for us to go up to 31 30, and it would be almost an identical situation to last year where Penn State has the ball at the end of the game, yep. and then it's up to our defense. And I'd rely on our defense 100 percent of the time. Right, but I, I mean, yeah. I, I'll go ahead, Bo. Nope, oh, go I on. thought you were going to say nope, something. Nope, you're good. Um, I was just trying to think of my train of thought there. Well, <laughs> no, sorry, sorry. But I'm just saying, like, you know, there's times where maybe the play calling is different to where I feel like we should have ran the ball more. Um, I think some of the passing plays that we threw were just – we unfortunately just didn't connect on them, and I don't know what the reasoning behind that was. It was tough to see, but – you know, where we've had success in the past, we just didn't see success this game. Well, I mean, you, you're going to have wet balls all over the field. Those are going to be tougher to catch. I think that's simple as that. But one thing we've talked a lot about that I've praised Brian Ferentz for in the past, so it's going to sound so hypocritical of me, but we talk about, you know, throwing the ball to set up the run, and that's kind of how the Hawkeyes have based their offense, it mm-hmm. seems like, so far this year. Mm-hmm. Whereas you got to come in with a game plan when you know – 
It's going to be wet. It's going to be windy. It's going to be nasty. You're in a hostile environment where that's not necessarily going to do it. And if that's not going to do it, you got to adjust. Yeah. And that's one of those things that has been infuriating throughout, you know, the 19 years under the Kirk Ferentz realm where it seems like, you know, it's either pound, 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 pass, kidding around like that. But, you know, adjust to what the situation throws at you. And, um, you know, I don't think it was just a big learning moment for, you know, as I said earlier, for Nate Stanley for that offensive line. I think it was a big learning moment for, you know, Brian Ferentz and the rest of the staff as well. So. If you get, if you guys would have asked me um, before we started this podcast, um, you know, looking back in the Penn State game, do you think that the Hawkeyes, like, which would you, which do you think is more accurate to how the Hawkeyes played on offense? Um, did they run the ball to set up the pass, or did they pass the ball to set up the run? I would have gone pass the ball to set up the run. Yeah, All I think here. they came out throwing. Yep. I think that they throw runs in there because they have to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that you're absolutely right, Bill. And, and that's radical. That's so radical of the Kirk Ferentz era as well, where, you know, that's what I'd love to see in that change. But then you come back and you see a game like this where it's a classic, this should have been a Kirk Ferentz called game all the way, where you have, you know, runs and play action boots. And go ahead, Bill. But at the same time, we're seeing Brian Ferentz come from the Patriots era. And, and if you watch a Patriots game on Sunday, <laughs> it's the same exact thing. They throw, yeah. they, they throw the pass to run the ball. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have great receivers who can, or great running backs who can catch the ball out of the backfield. And they have Tom Brady throw fifty yards or fifty times a game, and they win every single ball game. And I think I agree with you. I think that Iowa should run the ball more. And I think that Iowa has has the the running backs to do so, but I don't think that they utilize. I don't know if they just don't utilize them as much as they should, or or what the deal is. There. See, I don't think that's an issue because. I think they get pretty utilized all together across the board. I think it's typically, you know, typically you'll see one of them break out around the other ones in terms of, like, yardage and touchdowns and that sort of thing. But as far as carries go, it seems like they're all carrying an equal load. Um, yeah, I think but, they run the hot hand. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like at first first drive, first couple drives, they just they just hand the ball off and give everybody a pretty equal share, and then whoever seems to be breaking them off. Which, why wouldn't you? If you have three good running backs, sophomore running backs, like, why not? Give it yeah. a high hand, whoever's running best, mm-hmm. do it. Mm-hmm. So, that'll be what to watch for, especially uh, in the beginning of the Purdue game this weekend. Guys, that pretty much wraps up our mailbag. Heck of a mailbag uh, section. Uh, you know, and obviously, we appreciate every one of you listeners that are out there listening to our podcast, liking us, subscribing to us. Um, you know, we got nothing but love to, to, to give back to you, and we want to make sure that we have time for all the questions. So if you think of something that you want us to cover, by all means, post a comment, you know, reach out to us directly, um, and we'll be happy to cover the any sort of mailbag questions on next week's episode when we preview our Northwestern. Um, and I will say, you know, guys, we are going to be starting next week, and our podcast might be sounding a little bit different because we'll be on the road. We're going on a Hawkeyes and Tallboys end-of-the-year brew tour. Yeah. And we haven't even decided word yet, have we? Um, no. Maybe we'll put it up for a poll. That would be awesome. Oh. Viewers, we need your help. Let us know where we're going next week. We'll put up a poll of three different places in North Liberty, Iowa, where we should do the podcast live and we'll do it for you. We'll be there live in person. We'll be recording. We'll be talking um, Hawkeyes. We'll be drinking tall boys. And uh, so thank you once again. And uh, please pay attention. It'll be on our Facebook page. But without further ado, 
Let's go Hawks.